Listener Production. A 24-year-old woman attacked and murdered while walking her dog on a beautiful remote beach in North Queensland. Yeah, the death of Toy accordingly in October 2018 ignited a community and more than 100 detectives worked on her case from the beginning. There were dozens and dozens of leads that took police to the other side of the world, but nothing for years until a record $1 million reward was issued. It's a staggering amount and it's not surprising to see that it was enough to get someone who to this point had remained silent to talk and ultimately lead to the capture of Rajvinder Singh. We're getting the latest from India as police work to extradite the man that they believe is their chief suspect. But how they made their breakthrough and whether this could finally be justice for Toya, that's our briefing topic in the second half of this episode. But first, let's get our fix of today's headlines. I'm Katrina Blowers. And I'm Rihanna Patrick. It's Thursday, December 8. Bali bombmaker Umar Patek has been released from prison. He served less than 12 years of a 20-year sentence for his role in the 2002 attacks that killed 202 people, including 88 Australians. Yeah, so the 55-year-old was released on parole and walked free yesterday. A statement from the local prisons department says Patek had qualified for parole after completing a de-radicalisation program. So he's going to remain on parole until April 2030. Yeah, and back in October, we did a story on the 20th anniversary of the Bali bombings and it was being widely reported at the time that Patek was up for parole and the feeling was that he was going to be released around that date. But thankfully for families of those victims, his release was delayed. Yeah, thank goodness for that. The Aussie Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said at the time that any suggestion Patek would be released early was abhorrent. Uh, elsewhere in Indonesia, a suicide bomber attacked a police station in Bandung City, West Java yesterday. He killed himself and one police officer. He was protesting those new laws that we told you about yesterday, which ban sex between people who aren't married. Yeah, and police say that the killer was a Muslim terrorist who had only been released from jail a year after his role in another bombing, and he believed that these new laws did not go far enough. Vladimir Zelensky and the Spirit of Ukraine have been announced as Time Magazine's Person of the Year for 2022. The award is handed out to someone who affected the news or our lives the most, for better or worse. Zelensky really galvanised the world in a way we haven't seen Mm. in decades. That's Edward Felsenthor. He's the editor-in-chief of Time talking to NBC News. So other contenders for the title included Elon Musk, which is kind of weird because he won this award last year, uh, the US Supreme Court, China's leader Xi Jinping and protesters in Iran. But I guess, Rihanna, the 44-year-old captured the editor's attention. They were saying that this was the easiest and I guess they, they had the most consensus on this award than they've had in many, many years because courage is contagious. He was able to spread that message of courage, of sticking around, staying behind, being with his people through social media and also engaging with other governments and parliaments. So I I think a lot of people will be happy with this award. It's not unusual for Time magazine to 
award this to a group. I mean, they've done it many times before and probably the most recent uh, one was the 2017 front cover, which went to the Silence Breakers, which was the founder of Me Too, uh, actress Ashley Judd and Alyssa Milano, among others who had also made those allegations against Harvey Weinstein. The Baz Luhrmann biopic Elvis swept the Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts Actor Awards last night. The film won 11 categories, including Best Film, Best Director, Best Lead Actor and Best Supporting Actress for Olivia de Jong. Yeah, I still haven't seen that movie. I think now is the time that I'm going to make myself sit down and watch that one. Uh, the ABC's Mystery Road Origin was the second most awarded production. It won seven awards, including Best Drama Series, Best Lead Actor for Mark Cole-Smith and Best Actress for Julie Narkle and Chris Hemsworth received the Actor Trailblazer Award. I feel incredibly lucky to be able to do what I do, to tell stories, to act, to find myself now in a place where I get to be creative and inspired and inhabit the minds of many different characters and travel the globe and meet wonderful people is a dream come true. Yeah, the Thor star there accepting the award in Sydney last night. And uh, yeah, Elvis, the big winner. It was funny then to hear Chris Hemsworth's voice in full Aussie accent flight. I feel whenever I hear him talk now, all I can think about is his character in Thor. But he still has a bit of, a bit more of an Aussie accent than I thought. I feel like Thor's hammer is really coming down right now, Katrina, because there is a massive storm coming through and I don't know if you can hear the thunder. Yeah, anyone who can hear that that swoosh of rain in the background, that's because there's rain dumping right over Rihanna's head where she lives right now. We have some pretty shocking figures out today regarding the number of people who are homeless across the country. More than 270,000 are at risk or already sleeping rough and they've received some form of specialist government help over the last 12 months. Around 75,000 clients were known to be homeless when they started receiving support and more than 35,000 clients were experiencing persistent homelessness over a two-year period. That's Gabrielle Phillips from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare. And 76,000 children and young people under 18 have sought assistance for homelessness in the last 12 months, presenting alone or as part of a family. And this story goes to show that age is no barrier to making what could be the discovery of your lifetime. Two sisters in their 70s who live in outback Queensland have dug up a 100 million year old fossil of an L. Lasmosaur, which is Australia's first complete fossil of this 15 metre dinosaur. And they dug this up near the remote western Queensland town of McKinlay, which is south of Cloncurry. Yeah, Cassandra Price says that they made the rare discovery while fossil hunting on their property to pass the time. We really thought we had a rock once it was cleaned and then we both realised uh, this could be something really big. So this 15 metre elasmosaur is now on its way to the Queensland Museum. We'll find bits of the body and no head and very, very rarely we'll find just a head but unfortunately with no body attached. That's the museum's senior scientist, Epson Knutson, there, and that audio is from Channel 9. This is the first complete elasmosaur fossil found in Australia. So some people watch Netflix, other people, to pass the time, go digging for dinosaurs, and good on them. All right, that is our headlines. In just a sec, Rihanna and I are going to speak to a journalist who's been covering the long journey to justice for Toya Accordingly. 
Brianna, I think unless you've spent time in far north Queensland over the last couple of years, it's hard to wrap your head around the unwavering dedication of an entire community to keep the fight for justice alive for local woman Toya Cordingly. Yeah, Toya was 24 when she was attacked and murdered on October the 21st, 2018 on Wangetti Beach. And it's a beautiful remote spot halfway between Cairns and Port Douglas. Now, since then, the outpouring of grief from many who didn't know her has been unprecedented. From bumper stickers, billboards, a monument on the beach, a walking track in her name, a Facebook community of over 12,000 people, and many have even gotten tribute tattoos of sunflowers, which was Toya's favourite flower. Yeah, it's just been extraordinary. And compounding this grief was the brick wall police kept hitting in the hunt for her killer. But recently, they've made what they believe is a huge breakthrough. To tell us more, we're joined by Seven News journalist Joel Dry, who's been covering the case. Joel, I guess, can you take us through this case and who was Toy accordingly? Sure. Well, Toy accordingly was your average, you know, early... 20s young woman living her best life. She uh, you know, had a variety of jobs, but was starting to form what she thought was going to be a career. She was passionate about animals. She owned animals herself. She worked in animal shelters and she lived in Cairns, far north Queensland. And, um, you know, you talk to family, you talk to friends, and they'll all paint this picture of a beautiful young girl who, and it's a fairly cliche thing, but you know, lit up the room when she walked in and, and everyone had a sense of the type of person she was. And and they all say the same thing, that she just had this really beautiful, bright personality that everyone comments was infectious. You wanted to be around Toya and she always gave you the, the time of day when, when she was at a party or a function or just hanging out with friends, everyone said you felt as if when you're in her company that she was really enthralled with being there. She always wanted to talk to you, share her details about her life and was always passionate about catching up with other people and making sure that she was engaged with the lives of her family and friends. The thing that's really struck me about this murder and and there are other murders that are similar to this that happened throughout time, but this one in particular, Toya's death, captivated a community, not just in North Queensland, but all over Australia in a way that few murders have. Murders are a horrible thing. Thankfully, in Australia, they are relatively rare. But what's even more rare in this instance was the random nature of it. You know, that you can look at the stats and it's something up around 90-something percent of murders are perpetrated by people that you know, sadly, a former loved one, an ex-partner, a scorned lover, something like that. So when a random murder happens, that being that the two people have no other connection other than being together at that point in time of any given day, it shocks people because these are the type of things that you don't expect to happen. These are the types of murders, you know, you see in movies or you read about, but are actually incredibly rare. So when something like this happens, a young woman going about her day, walking her dogs on a beach north of Cairns and encounters a person who she has never met before, has no connection and who ultimately ends up killing them, it shocks people. And rightfully so, people should feel the right to be able to go about their day, do something as normal and average as walking a dog on a beach and not expect to encounter any trouble, let alone ultimately meet their untimely death. So the shocking nature and the shocking randomness of this killing really hit people hard, in particular 
that North Queensland community and they're still in shock to this day. Joel, was there a suspect at the time of Toya's murder? Not immediately. Um, when you talk to police, they went through standard operating procedure and that is to look at people close to the victim. So you're looking at a boyfriend, family members. They are always going to be the people that are first looked at and ticked off. And all those people were removed as being suspects. So then they had to cast a wider net. And to get to this suspect that, that we'll talk about was some incredible piece of police work. Katrina and Rihanna, it's really important to state at this point, these are only allegations against this person. And like anyone else, they remain innocent until proven guilty. Because of the randomness of this crime, it meant the police really had nothing to go on in the first instance. So what they had to do was some really old school detective work. They trawled through hours and hours and hours of traffic camera vision. So security vision taken from all sorts of roads that led into and around that area of Wongeti Beach. And it was one particular detective who noticed a car that had some movements in there. And it was simply running the registration of that car and then working out what connections does the owner of this car, the registered owner of this car, have to this area and then, you know, do a bit more work, a bit more digging. And ultimately that car was registered to someone who didn't really have a connection to the area north of Cairns. And then subsequent work started to unpick what was that person doing there and why were they there? And that's what ultimately led to following the trail of that car, looking at their movements and then looking at the person who owned that car. And that's how they started to zero in on a suspect. Subsequent to that, then we start to get into the DNA. They work out, all right, let's take a closer look at this person and see if there's anything else that might connect them to the crime. And ultimately there was, and that leads us to the suspect of Rajvinder Singh. All right. Tell us more about Rajvinder Singh. You've been to India twice now, Joel, uh, in your coverage of this story. What can you tell us about him and, and why it's taken so long for police to be able to track him down? Well, to start with, it was because of he had no connection to either Toya or the area. He was a relatively un unremarkable character. He's now 38 years old. He is uh, born in India. He was an Indian national, but but moved to Australia, uh, you know, many, many years ago to start a new life with his wife. He became a nurse. He had three children. He lived in Innisfail, which is south of Cairns, you know, probably two and a bit hours away from the murder scene. You know, and he was going about his life. And then on this day, we will never really know what was going through his head, but the allegation is that he found himself in Wongeti Beach, uh, came across Toya, whether or not there was, you know, the intent to kill or the intent just to perhaps um, sexually harass or sexually assault again, we still don't fully know. But something has happened, police say, to cause him to stab and murder Toya on that day in October 2018. Following that, we know that he drove back down to Innisfail, packed up his life, left his family, his wife, his three children, and then flew to Sydney the day after the alleged murder. And then following that, he flew on back to his uh, home country of India. His movements after that are all relative speculation, but we've spoken to sources and we understand that he then took himself back to his home region, the Punjab region, which is north of India, uh, he lived in a relatively rural area. He had family support there. He had friend support. And for the next four or so years, that is where he, we suspect, has been hiding out. Now, by the time he was 
safely, uh, you know, tucked up in India, police still didn't know who he was. So once they then zeroed in on a suspect, it becomes a very difficult diplomatic and police mission to try to A, find him and then track him down. And that has taken four years to get to this point. But um, it's been a long process, but ultimately a fruitful one that leads us to about a month ago when police finally had all the diplomatic boxes checked and decided they were going to take a shift in strategy. They'd opened up the books. They decided to, for the first time ever in Queensland history, offer a $1 million award. That is a record. And another quite rare fact is that that reward was offered not just for information that would lead to a prosecution, but any information that would lead to an arrest. A bit over a week ago, we got to that point. We understand that someone saw that reward and offered some information that he would be travelling to New Delhi, and it was fruitful. Delhi police and also um, with the assistance of some AFP officers who are based in India pounced Friday a bit over a week ago and uh, ultimately got their man, they hope. Yeah, Joel, I mean, when we talk about a million dollars, I mean, that is a large sum of money for a family in India, for instance. It's huge. The term that police say is in Australia, a million dollars is a lot of money. There's no doubt about that. It is life-changing. But in India, it is generational. So to put it in rough terms, a million Australian dollars in rupee, in Indian dollars, equates to probably somewhere between 15 to 20 million Australian dollars for someone in this country. So it's a staggering amount and it's not surprising to see that it was enough to get someone who to this point had remained silent to talk and ultimately lead to the capture of Rajvinder Singh. So Queensland authorities are now trying to extradite him from India, but how long is that expected to take and, and what happens next? What happens next is uh, it's a bit unknown. The Indian extradition system can be complex to navigate. All the ducks are in a row. A bit over a year ago, the Australian government sought an extradition order. They sent it to Indian government officials who looked at it which included a brief of evidence. So those officials said, okay, here on paper is what the Australian authorities have against this man. And they, in principle, agreed to the extradition order. So that was an important step to make sure that they could then go into the country and apprehend him. Now it is the court process. So he has appeared um, once very briefly when he was arrested and then again for a second time last week. Again, it was a brief hearing. But the process now is the Indian court has to look at that brief of evidence, the case against him and say, okay, is there enough to uh, warrant an extradition? Is there a good prospect of a conviction in Australia? If yes, will he receive a free and fair trial when he gets there? Is this case of a political nature, which it isn't? And hopefully the court will say, yes, we think there is a extradition uh, case and we will grant that. He, of course, has the right to appeal this, which we have seen in some other semi-similar cases. So he can say, I don't agree with this and push it up through the court process. That is what could really stretch it out. The fastest way that he will come back to Australia is if he agrees to the extradition and thinks, I will go back to Australia and fight to clear my name. If that happens, he could be back within a matter of weeks. So we know that even in Australia, the wheels of justice turn slowly. So we can expect the court process here to take many months and he has the presumption of innocence like all other people that face court and he will be given a defence attorney if he can't you know, afford one himself and then he will go through the criminal process like any other person. 
That was Seven News journalist Joel Dry, who's been covering the Toy Accordingly murder case. And Rihanna, I think it's worth reflecting what Joel has told me personally. Funnily enough, Joel and I share a desk at work, so I see him most days and we've talked about this case quite extensively. The family of Toy Accordingly haven't been that outspoken in the media, and that is because they have not wanted to prejudice a future trial. They are quite concerned that um, one of the aspects of the extradition process is that the Indian government needs to be fairly confident that he is going to be able to be given a fair trial if and when he arrives in Australia. And they're concerned that, you know, whatever they might say publicly or even on social media might prejudice that case. And that is it from us today. Thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. On tomorrow's show, we know live music got hit so hard by COVID. Now there's an interesting idea about a government tax offset and whether that could be just the thing to rejuvenate the industry. Listener.